My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swiftie. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Well, just is that like it's a perfect album the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with renew Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Oh, hi! It's the Spark Parade, a show where I talk to amazing people about the art and culture that's shaped their lives. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade, on all social media. And you should follow me because there's going to be a little opportunity for audience participation coming up. But first, you should know that this is going to be a great show. I had a chat with singer-songwriter Estrella about her love for titan of film-composing Hans Zimmer, superstar pop songwriter and producer Max Martin, and the film Pay It Forward from 2000, which starred Helen Hunt, Kevin Spacey, and Haley Joel Osment. Quite a lot of ground to cover, but now it's almost summer, so it seems like a perfect time for us to collaborate, right? You and me, for the next while. How long is a while? Uh, we'll see, as long as this goes on. So for the next little while, I'm going to do a weekly examination of a different component of the artistic universe. This week, let's talk about scoring for film and TV. Yay! I'm obviously thinking about this because of the Hans Zimmer chat, but I've also been thinking a lot lately about how scoring affects our experience of on-screen entertainment. The tempo of underscoring can add a sense of urgency or a sense of calm to a scene. Have you seen any of those YouTube videos where they show a scene with and without music to illustrate the impact that music has on the tone of that scene? If not, Google that shit. It's really astonishing. For example, without music, so much of the tension is drained from horror movies and action movies and thrillers. Music gives us emotional cues when we're watching stuff. A sweeping orchestral movement can add romance to a scene featuring a passionate love affair. Even the most basic elements of music can have an effect on our perception of on-screen events. Uh, Chili Gonzalez, who I've talked about nonstop on this podcast, sorry, not sorry, he has started doing these little at-home streaming performances, and he loves to educate people about music. In one of the recent videos he did, he talked about the emotional differences between music in major and minor keys. It's pretty obvious stuff, but still, major keys are for happy times, you know, sunny days, birthday parties. Minor keys are for funerals, for breakups, for thunderstorms outside haunted castles. Every element of scoring can be used to sway or manipulate audiences, and the best scores become so inextricably linked to the films or TV shows they're enhancing that it's absolutely impossible to imagine them without that music. Jaws is a great example. Or 
Star Wars or the Indiana Jones movies. The score is a character in its own right. So where does this audience participation come in? Here it comes. I want you to pay attention to scoring this week. Really listen while you're watching TV shows and movies and think about the way scoring, underscoring, any kind of orchestral music is enhancing or even detracting from your enjoyment of whatever you're watching. And then let me know about it. You can DM me or comment on the Spark Parade social media and tell me about your favorite examples. Just as a reminder, it's at Spark Parade everywhere. I'm going to read out the best ones on next week's episode, so who knows? Maybe I'll choose yours and you will become instantly famous. How exciting. Would you like an example of what I'm looking for? Well, there's one coming up at the top of this week's interview. Lucky you. So, without further ado, here comes my chat with Estrella about Hans Zimmer, Max Martin, and Pay It Forward. Um, so why don't we start with Hans Zimmer? Sure. Do you, it's it's a bit of a tricky one with people who are sort of less prominently in the public eye. Like he's not a celebrity um, in, mm-hmm. in the way, you know, that, I don't know, Prince or Madonna or somebody like that is. He's obviously internationally known and is a hugely influential part of the music industry and uh, the film industry. But do you remember being, like becoming aware of his place in the kind of entertainment ecosystem or, uh, or what, what, uh, what was your experience of being exposed to him? Yeah. Um, Hans Zimmer was somebody that I didn't really know who he was until I was like a a teenager. I became obsessed with film scores when I was around like 15, 16 years old. Um, basically I come from like a classical background and I grew up playing flute in like orchestras and bands and that sort of thing. I'm a classically trained pianist. And so I was always like really drawn to orchestral music. And so that kind of like um, influenced like why I ended up becoming so obsessed with film scores and um, discovered Hans Zimmer. And actually, I then realized I've been listening to his stuff for so long because his music has obviously been a part of so many amazing films that I loved so much growing up especially like the Lion King. Like I remember there's this like whole um, section of the Lion King where there's this just sweeping, gorgeous string part. I think it's when like um, Simba and his dad are like looking at the stars. I'm sure like everybody has probably seen the Lion King, but um, (laughs) when they're like looking at the stars and talking about the ancestors and that sort of thing. And I just remember there being this like profound emotional moment and how much like the orchestral score really emphasize that and like it it was a piece of music that I always loved growing up and then when I was a teenager I became obsessed with the Pirates of Caribbean um, soundtrack and he obviously composed that and later on like when Interstellar came out um, that was another really big score that I loved and Inception um, there's a song in in, in Inception that he composed called Time and I think that's probably like my favorite pieces of music of all time like it is it's the most like simple thing ever it's basically like repeated I think it's only like four chords throughout the whole thing but it does this like gradual crescendo to this really epic emotional moment and it's it's so beautiful and profound without being overcomplicated. and I think that's part of the reason why I love his music so much is because it's not it's not overcomplicated. it's it's simple 
but it's huge. It's like this huge wall of sound that's incredibly epic and emotional. And like, I think when you keep things simple and accessible, like it means that people from all sorts of different backgrounds could listen to that and feel something. So I think that's a huge reason why I've always really been drawn to his soundtracks. Yeah. And the one of the things that's so interesting to me about scoring for film and television is that it's such a particular skill. It's like you you have to have people who are obviously in, insanely talented in the traditional uh, way that any composer needs to be, that they have to have studied music, learned their craft, become a master of uh, wh- whatever particular skill sets they need to get to where they are. And in addition to just thinking about the music, they're composing to match something that's been filmed or to w- with that in mind. So the music not only needs to be music that can make you know stand alone that's something that's pleasant to listen to but also is something that is in aid of this visual medium um and you know there's a million youtube videos that you can find where people show like the difference between a scene in a film with the music and without and what a difference it makes to the atmosphere Mm. to Um, you know, producing an emotional response from the audience or getting people to changing the atmosphere enough that something that looks like quite innocuous without music can be quite tense with the music there. So there's all of these other factors combined. But then to have a composer who creates that music that is meeting this specific need and can also be listened to on its own and still evoke an emotional response and still be this, you know, amazing piece of music that touches you without having any other reference points is mm-hmm. such a skill. And when you look at the, I mean, he is such a prolific composer, basically every film that you can think of in the last, like, I don't know, 40 years. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's really mind boggling. Yeah, he is amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, speaking of that, too, like, I, I I, don't know why I didn't even, I didn't even think about this, but, so, like, I do a lot of arranging and producing and composing for sync, mostly within the world of advertising, so, like, I work on a lot of ad projects where I will arrange a cover of something to, to match with the emotion of the advertisement and, and that sort of thing, and, like, I, I guess, actually, like, really, a lot of like what I've seen Hans Zimmer do in those scenes and in those films has, has influenced like how I approach my own work with, within the world of advertising and sync as well. Like he has such a skill for, as you're saying, like matching the emotion through music. And I think that's, that's a really incredible and inspiring skill to have. Um, so I think that's something that's definitely like influenced me as well. And then within my own music too, the way that he, uses the orchestra is in such like a modern and contemporary way. A lot of his use of orchestral percussion, things like taiko drums, like it's kind of unusual really um, in the type of music, in the type of genre that like I write and work in, but I use a lot of orchestral percussion. Like I definitely own the (laughs) Spitfire Audio Hans Zimmer percussion sample pack because it's amazing. And I absolutely love using huge epic like taiko drums and that sort of thing within my own production as well. And that's like massively influenced by him and a lot of his pieces as well. Like he combines the orchestra, as I was saying, in, in like such a modern way, he combines it with things like synth- synthesizers and electric guitars and samples and that sort of thing. And I don't know he's brought, I think 
he's really helped to bring orchestral music into a, a contemporary sphere which allows like orchestral music to in some ways to continue within like this century but yeah it's it's really really amazing to see like the impact that he's had within that realm yeah and that is a really good point about orchestral music is not a new phenomenon <laughs> that that is an understatement yeah. um and it's something that in some of its forms can seem quite elitist or can seem like it's inaccessible to people mm. who can't afford to go to the symphony. Uh, you know, I know obviously orchestral music is available at, on uh, Spotify or, um, you know, people can can find access to it. But in terms of performance, it's a, you know, a, a very specific set of people that are going to be able to have access to see it live. And to use that music for a really accessible art form so that everyone feels like they're uh, a part of that Everyone can be exposed to it and yes. it can become just as ingrained in the public consciousness as any other aspect of popular culture. That that example of Inception is a really good one because that music is so iconic. It's music that people recognize instantly. And, you know, there's a it's inextricably linked to the film as well. I think it instantly mm. makes people think of, you know, buildings folding in on themselves and, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. He has such a skill for evoking this very visceral emotional response with his music. And yeah, I, th I think it's it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, definitely. And and as I was just saying, like, like, I think a big part of why it feels so accessible is because like it is a lot simpler than like, say, if you're like listening to Bach, like a lot of people would be kind of turned off by listening to Bach because it's like very complicated lines like intertwining with each other. Like it's a very different realm of like what you would consider classical music but with Hans Zimmer like he's made it in such a modern contemporary and accessible way which is great really yeah yeah and obviously never ever stops working like you know it's three or four film projects a year basically yeah and I don't know when he sleeps <laughs> yeah yeah and how old is he now he let's, let's oh I don't even know let's find out he's 62 um but okay i i think the fact that you know he's this year alone he's got like six or seven films either in production or about to come out all these like huge huge epic like the next wonder woman movie and the, oh my god <laughs> the remake of dune and the top gun sequel all of these like yeah these films that are you know, without question, going to have this gigantic cultural impact, you know, whether that's a good impact or a bad one, but um, uh, yeah. just um, the next James Bond movie, uh, like working within these absolutely iconic franchises that everyone knows, everyone is, even if they don't engage with them, even if they don't enjoy them, they're at the very least aware of them, they're inescapable. And he, I think it, you know, says a lot that he is, if not the go-to person for uh, film scoring for big, expansive blockbusters, he's definitely in the top, you know, uh, handful of people who are always relied upon. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it's a really, yeah, unparalleled <laughs> cultural impact. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that I really like about him as a person too, like, 
when you see interviews of him, like he never hides from the fact that like his his work is a very like high pressure situation. Like he's very real about it. Like, I was recently watching, I think it was like a BBC documentary about film composers. And there was a bit where he was talking about how sometimes like um, movies will start like putting big billboards and posters out before the music's even finished. <laughs> and he'll mm. be like, he'll like see like the poster and be like, oh God, this, this is now like a very, you know, high pressure situation. Like this is definitely going to happen, but how am I going to finish the music in time? Like, but he still somehow manages to like make something amazing, even when he's in these really high stress environments and situations and working on so many huge projects a year. Like I don't, I honestly don't know how he does it. Like even within the world of advertising, like when I'm working on music for an ad, that also tends to be super last minute. I've had situations where I've like had to create and arrange and produce like a, a song that needs to go on an ad that's coming out like in five days. Like some, sometimes these things can be so last minute in such like stressful situations. But when I'm doing it, it's like, you know, maybe maximum 90 seconds long. Like he's creating music that's hour and a half to two hours long. Like that's a lot of music to be outputting. Right. Like it has to be so stressful. Yeah. And I can only imagine that with these big blockbuster movies that figuring out how, uh, like, I, I don't know how the edit affects that as well. Like if he's scoring while they're shooting the film and then has to rearrange the music because scenes have been cut or, you know, this is exposing my ignorance about how film scoring works, but um, <laughs> I'm just imagining all the complications that can come into it. And yeah, it must be a very stressful undertaking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he obviously, even if it is a lot of stress and a lot of pressure, is able to uh, cope with it because of the enormous number of projects that he's worked on. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Um, mm. uh, another absolutely prolific presence in the world of entertainment is Max Martin. Mm. Um, same, uh, intro here. Do you remember becoming aware of his place in the music industry? He's another one who, you know, he does, uh, perform sometimes as well, but he's mostly known as a writer and a producer. And I think... He's another one of these people that once you become aware of how influential he has been and how much he, you know, how many iconic songs and albums he's had a hand in, it, it is absolutely mind boggling. Yeah. Max Martin was one of those people that like, he soundtracked my entire childhood and I had no idea until years, years and years and years later. Like, so when I was growing up, like I listened to a huge range of music, mostly because my dad was such a big music fan and was always listening to like the Beatles or Crosby, Stills and Nash and that sort of thing. Like music that, that definitely influenced me and like I love to this day, but the music that I was always drawn to growing up was pop music. And, you know, like decades later, I ended up realizing actually like all of my favorite albums and songs and artists were all things that like Max Martin had produced and written. And to me, that was just absolutely crazy. So like the first album I ever owned was Backstreet Boys, the Millennium album. And I had it on repeat for months and I was obsessed. Me and my little brother would just, we would constantly perform it like, our, like one of our like songs, quote unquote, 
um, is I want it that way. And we would, we would, um, we would like have little performances where we'd record ourselves into a tape cassette and we'd like perform it for family and that sort of thing. We were, we were just like obsessed with that whole album really. And actually it was that album that ended up kind of like, it's kind of weird to think about, but it ended up influencing like how I started writing music. So when I was eight, I formed like a little girl band group with two other friends in my grade. And we started writing, we had like a little notebook that we shared and we started writing lyrics in them and we'd like get together and, and put the lyrics to melodies and that sort of thing. And (laughs) when I was home last, um, in Minnesota, I went and looked at the notebook and it's, it's kind of ridiculous to see like how much of the lyrics are just kind of like ripped off of Backstreet Boys songs. Because we were so obsessed at the time with them. And so, yeah, it's kind of weird to think that Max Martin was probably actually one of the major reasons why I started writing music in the first place. And other artists that, like, I listened to constantly at the time, too. Like, the second album I ever owned was NSYNC, No Strings Attached. And obviously also, like, was obsessed with Britney Spears at the time, too. And, like, all these songs that soundtracked my entire childhood. And it was all literally because of Max Martin, which is mental, really. But yeah, it's it's really it's really kind of weird though, because like even though I was like maybe like eight or nine at the time, like obviously did not have any kind of like real life experience, somehow I still connected to the songs, even though they're like slightly like older lyrics and like very like teenage lyrics. I think that's also kind of like the genius of Max Martin too, in in the way actually like that Hans Zimmer is is the same. It's like the simplicity of the music is what ends up connecting with such a wide range of people from different backgrounds. And I think it's like one of the biggest reasons why he's, why he's had like so many number ones. I think he's third only to Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Like he's had, I I wish I remembered how many number ones it was, but it's a crazy number. How many songs he's worked on that's reached number one. But yeah, it, He's he's absolutely insane. Another another really crazy one, but a genius, a pop, a pure pop genius, really. Yes. Um, Wikipedia tells me that he has <laughs> written or co-written 23 Billboard Hot 100 number one hits. Um, wow. And most of those he has produced or co-produced as well. Wow. I, I like yeah. to uh, have my entire podcast just be me reading verbatim from Wikipedia. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that I can incorporate that. It's today. very useful. <laughs> <laughs> I read something, somebody tweeted the other day that like all podcasts are either people reading directly from Wikipedia or completely making stuff up, but there's no in between. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, like, so even like the thing is with Max Martin too, is like, usually with producers or writers, they'll sometimes have like a period of time where they're really, really successful. And then they'll just kind of like disappear. Or they'll stop like having as many big hits. But the things with Max Martin is like, he's been able to continue and adapt his production and writing for decades. And yeah. the core, the core of his essence is like still there in everything he creates and but the fact that he's been able to like continue having success i mean oh my god how many years oh that was over 20 years ago that like 
those Backstreet Boys and NSYNC albums came out. Like the fact that he's now still having hits with like Ariana Grande and he had a bunch of hits with like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and a lot of like massive artists still today. The fact that he's able to continue having those hits is is insane because that's not that's not usual at all. Yeah. And I think it does go back to what you were saying about the simplicity of the the music that there's there's like simple elements that are really appealing. He has this kind of it's like a mathematical formula to creating perfect pop songs and Mm -hmm. that base that the the song works off of. Um, you know, there can be a lot of lyrical complexity. There can be production layered on top that's really complex. But having that foundation of a really simple, accessible melody or song structure um, and just, you know, traditional kind of verse, chorus, verse. But that doesn't even explain it because there's so many other amazing, incredible producers who've produced uh, iconic albums, hit singles that everyone knows, everyone remembers but they maybe mm-hmm. have uh, a grip on the, the music industry as a whole and will be the hot producer that everyone relies on for, I don't know, five years, 10 years. And then things just kind of fade. And even if people are still, you know, I'm thinking about somebody like Timbaland or, um, mm. you know, the Neptunes or whatever, that it's like maybe they're working on other projects. Maybe they have other things that they're doing in their life and things just kind of shift and change but they don't have that same omnipresent thing happening where, you, you know, they're, like every hit on the radio will be theirs. And Max Martin has never really gone away. It's like he, he continues to find new pop icons to work with and to have mm. enormous success with. And it's not just um, a situation where, again, like with Timbaland, where someone like Madonna will work with him for one album and then that's it. These are pop stars like, you know, Ariana Grande and Pink and Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran and all of these people who have enormous global success, who are always at the top of the charts, always selling millions of albums. And they don't just rely on him for, you know, a hit, one hit single and then never come back to him. They keep coming back over and over again. He's like somebody who people mm. know that they can really rely on to make their music as popular as it can ever possibly be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is amazing. But going back to you were saying something about how like how he can have like really interesting, complex production, but like always keeping the melody and and lyrics simple. And I think there's something within like his technique. And I'm not sure if he even necessarily like when I've seen interviews of him, which he doesn't do very often, he's quite elusive. He always talks about how like people describe him as having like this melodic math sort of like mentality. But he really emphasizes that everything he does like has to feel right. And he's not necessarily like thinking, oh, this has to happen here and we can only have this many syllables or that sort of thing. It's always like what he feels is right for the song and in that moment. But there's something about how he balances things so well. So like, for example, if he has like a really busy rhythmic verse melody, then he'll just kind of like, it just like feels right then to like, within the pre-chorus have something that's more flowy and like not as busy like having that variation and balance I think is really important something that I definitely integrate into my music too or like things like if you have like really bright shiny melodies or lyrics like balancing that with like maybe some 
minor chords. So you have a bit of that light and darkness within the song. Like having that balance is so important to making something really impactful. And he's just an absolute genius at that, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what you just said, like that, the, the trying to figure out what the magical formula is, like what makes it so that he's able to do these things and knowing that his <laughs> description of how uh, all these, all this music comes together is that, you know, I'm sure there's, there's more to it than just, it's a feeling, but that that's kind mm. of at the root of it, that he's so skilled and he, he knows how to produce these songs so well that it is just something that kind of comes out of him. It's this inherent thing now that he, you know, can take a song that somebody brings to him or work on a song with somebody and understand the things that need to go into it to make it as appealing to as many people as it possibly can be. And it works. Yeah. Yeah. And his skill with melody is just unbelievable. And to be honest, I think a lot of it, because there've been so many incredible producers and songwriters that have come out of Sweden and like listening to interviews that he has done and interviews with other like Swedish producers. I think a lot of it honestly is, I think part of it is because like in Sweden, like music education is so important. It's like a part of every child's education when they're growing up. And actually like, I found that really interesting because being from Minnesota, like, I don't know if you, you obviously said that you grew up in Minnesota when we spoke Mm -hmm. over email. At my school, everybody had to take music until they were like in like 10th grade or something like that. And everybody had to learn the recorder in elementary school and sing in choir and and learn some basic like music theory skills and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of the reason why in Minnesota there's so much emphasis on music education is because like Minnesota is a very Swedish influenced state because there's so much Swedish heritage and it's I think that's a big reason why we have so many amazing songwriters and producers from Sweden because it's like it's it has so much emphasis there and it's such an important part of their culture and also like their folk songs are like so ethereal and beautiful as well I think it's just kind of like ingrained within within a lot of their brains growing up having those musical skills and and knowledge which is pretty cool yeah and I think that is a perfect illustration of the importance of not just music, but arts education um, across the board. It's like exposing kids to the potential of, of art when they're really little and showing them, you know, helping them to understand, especially with music, like having the basic foundation, knowing how music is structured from a really young age And being able to have this kind of fundamental understanding of what you're listening to, I think it's so helpful to music appreciation. And also, even if you never pick up another instrument for the rest of your life, having the opportunity to have held a musician, an instrument and to have some kind of basic fundamental understanding of chord structure and, you know, finger placement and those kinds of things so that you can see when you're watching a band, when you're listening to a film score, all the other places where you hear or engage with music, that even if it's just in the back of your mind, knowing 
something about how that music came to be and what goes into producing music is so important and definitely sets people up for, you know, if they have even an inkling that they might be interested in creating music themselves, showing them that it's possible and saying, here's here's a way to start and not just saying that for one music class for one semester when you're six and then never mentioning it, mentioning it again, trying to make it so that music is something that's part of people's lives for their whole life. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm actually like really passionate about is it is a bit of a tangent, but like, like the impact of music education on a developing brain is incredibly profound. Like, cause not only obviously does it affect like children's musical abilities, it also like enhances math abilities and reading comprehension and everything it's because it like affects so many areas of the brain that it it enhances knowledge overall and that's why it's so important and it's the same with other arts too but music especially like that's why it's so important that it's part of a child's education really so it is a shame like when you hear about cuts to schools and arts always end up being like the first things to go it's really really disappointing yeah the, the way that art can be treated as something that's kind of frivolous makes me really upset. But when you think about the yeah. connections between music and, like you said, math, to me, the thing that always got me the most engaged with subjects like math and science were when the teacher could give me some real life applications or relate what they're talking about to something else that interests me. And I think yeah. if, you know, music were incorporated more into math or vice versa, that it was like the, showing the connections and how math is really important to structuring music, th those connections can help to create this understanding of like a, uh, how the world works as a whole, that there are, you know, all mm. of these connections between all of the things that we do. And yeah, I, 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 uh, I am fully on board. I think music education should be compulsory. Absolutely. And I think the thing is about music too, is like, it gives life meaning. And like, mm -hmm. it, I feel like, especially now with like, how much weirdness and, and scariness there is in the world, like, we need art more than ever. Like it brings, it helps bring comfort and healing to people. I, and I think that sometimes, I don't know, sometimes people don't realize the full impact of how important art and music is. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I think we are both on the same page. We just need to get uh, the people in charge to understand that message. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. But that actually kind of leads to like, so the movie that I wanted to talk about, Pay It Forward, that it actually kind of leads into that because what I also love so much about both music and film is the ability that it has to bring that healing to people and to help people feel less alone. When they hear somebody singing about something that they're going through or when they see somebody in a movie experiencing something that they're struggling with, I think it's something that can be really helpful for people. And I think it's also like, really powerful, a really powerful way of fostering empathy and helping people to see things from other people's perspectives. And I think that's something that we definitely need to help heal divisions in, in society. Like the medium of, of film and music is, is really, really important. 
but yeah, yeah. um so yeah. sorry <laughs> going back to pay it forward though so like <laughs> starting to go on <laughs> tangent um but it's a reason why i've always been like a huge fan of dramas and one of the biggest movies that's had an impact on my life is pay it forward which um for people who haven't seen it, it's about this kid who grows up. I, I won't tell the whole thing because you guys should see it anyway. But it's about a kid who who grows up in in sort of a, an unstable home situation. His mom's an alcoholic, and I think he's about like ten or eleven in the movie. And he he really he was really inspired by his teacher, um, but also by his situation growing up, and like is inspired to start this project where he. Uh, this pay it forward project where he helps like three other people and does good deeds for them and then asks them to pay it forward and do good deeds for other people. And the whole movie is about the different lives that this kid has impacted. And I know it was something that really inspired me when I was young. I think it was maybe eight at the time I saw it or something. And I don't know, I found it really ins- inspiring. Like it, it does seem like a, a lofty ambition to want to change the world but to be honest like I feel like that's always been a big part of the reason like why I create music because I've always wanted to be able to help other people like I write a lot about mental health and I write a lot about like my own personal experiences and I'm quite open in my lyrics because I want to be able to help other people who might be struggling in the way that like music and art has helped me through difficult times but yeah, I, so I think that movie really made a, a huge impact on me at the time. Cause even though it was like a fictitious, I think it was a fictitious story. I still, at the time I was like, well, I mean, if, if this kid can do something, I want to do something like, I don't know. It just made me feel like, even though I'm a kid, like I can still have these dreams and goals of like helping other people. And I mean, obviously there's a, I, I ended up like, um, studying psychology and music therapy later on in life. And there's, there's obviously a lot of different factors that influence that. But I think like this, this movie in particular, it was something I really connected with as well, especially cause like I, like I, I've known a lot of people who have struggled with addiction and alcoholism growing up. And so I also like really related to Trevor, the kid in this movie too. Um, but yeah, it's a really amazing movie. Um, the, that whole, the central concept, it's exactly what you said that I think to me, it kind of boils down to the golden rule and this idea of living your life, trying to treat people with kindness, trying to help other people and not necessarily expecting anything in return from them, wanting to do good things, wanting to help other people because it's the right thing to do because you're helping in whatever even small way to make the world a yes. better place. And that that is a, a pretty that's a, a, a fundamentally good idea that uh, I am I'm I'm definitely on board. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. Yeah. And just uh you know, living your life altruistically in, in, in whatever ways you can. I don't think anybody is ever going to be completely selfless. I don't think anybody is should ever be expected to only want to help other people and to never have selfish moments or to, you know, have concerns that are more about their own life than other people's. But just having a balance and being able to say, I'm going to do whatever I can to make a difference to other people and to help other people. And especially, I mean, in in our current 
crazy world where, you know, being kind and compassionate to to other people, helping other people is more important mm. than ever. I think uh, that message really resonates. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and as I was saying, like, and that's why I think like these art forms are so important because I think that like music and film, it has a way of like doing it in a subtle way rather than, you know, like shouting at people like, you need to see the world this way. It just it does it in a way that allows people to see, hey, actually, this person like with a completely different background than me just wants the same things that I want, you know, to be loved and, and to to love in return and to like just ha- live a happy and healthy life like that that is at the core of it like things that like all of us want and I think sometimes that gets lost when people get so caught up in divisive things and uh, the way that we see things differently and different opinions about politics and religion and that sort of thing but at the core of it we're far more similar than different that's why I think like I don't know why I really appreciate good dramas above like anything else because I think really great filmmakers have uh, an, an amazing ability to be able to do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is wonderful. I feel uh, like that is a very poignant note to finish on. Sounds good. <laughs> um, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Um, do you, if people who are listening to this would like to keep up with what you've got going on how should they do that is social media the best way yeah i'm facebook or instagram my uh name i don't know what you call it tag is astrea musica um if you want to check out my stuff i do very like singer songwritery pop stuff but i do have new music coming out that's like uh it's all produced and written by me alone um it's like yeah contemporary pop i would call it But yeah, new stuff coming soon, which I'm excited about. Great. Awesome. Thanks again. This was really, really fun. It was so nice chatting to you. Thank you for Um, having me. uh, Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, Take care. See ya. Bye. That was a real hoot, wasn't it? Thanks again to Estrella for chatting with me. Check out her music, too. And now, let's wrap this sucker up with some recommendations. Firstly, I watched The Trip to Spain, which is the fourth film in the Michael Winterbottom-directed Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon-starring series. If you haven't seen it, they play themselves, they travel to beautiful locations and eat food and make jokes, and there's a very thin semblance of story threading through, but I fucking love it. This is supposed to be the last one, which makes me sad, but it's really funny and a little emotion, so you should watch it. Also, Chloe and Hallie released a video for their new single, Do It, and it's incredible. I've always thought that they had amazing voices, but their music was a little lacking. Not quite boring, but definitely not exciting. However, this song feels like they're maturing and growing, really finding their sound, and the video is a visual feast. Do you like my use of that phrase, or did it make you puke in your mouth? Bit of both? Cool. And lastly, I've really been enjoying the new season of Homecoming, The first season starred Julia Roberts, but Janelle Monae is leading this one, and she's great. As is Hong Chao, who's having a stellar year, because she was really great in Watchmen 2. And, clever tie-in alert, if you want another example of incredible scoring, this is it. Emile Masseri's music is the perfect accompaniment to this show. Homecoming is so stylized, and that's pushed even further in the second season. There's a lot of Hitchcockian vibes 
the way the camera moves, the use of split screen, all of that shit is enhanced by this jarring, arresting score. It's so fantastic. So there you go. Take my lead and tell me about the film and TV scoring that you're digging this week. Follow me at Spark Parade and then leave those comments. If you want to be extra cute, you can rate and review the show too. And that's really it, dude. Have a super fantastic week. I hope you manage to keep yourself safe and entertained. Until next time, bye. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.